Hey everybody, we don't have any triggers or announcements before the podcast starts today or before this episode starts, but um, just a reminder to go and rate, subscribe, and leave us a comment on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, um, and it helps people find us. And of course, word of mouth really works the best, and if you can tell a friend or a family member who might like it uh, about the podcast and show them where to listen, um, we greatly appreciate it. Okay, on to the episode. Please pause for an important directive from Dr. Morgenstern, Chief of Surgery at County General Hospital. This episode contains heavy themes and serious content. Listener discretion is advised. All stories shared in this podcast have been altered to protect the identity of our patients and colleagues. Any perceived medical advice from the show should not be used for real-life medical concerns. Always consult your personal physician before proceeding with any new practice or treatment. This podcast will include spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, but there will not be any future episode spoilers. Thank you. Debrief podcast, a recap podcast where two emergency nurses discuss the hit TV show ER. We are your hosts, Melissa and Julie. This week we are going to be discussing episode 12 of season one. Thanks so much for joining us again on this kind of gloomy Monday. Who knows what it'll actually be on the Monday that it's released, (laughs) but right now it's gloomy outside. You know, what I've realized is that, like, every episode we comment on the weather. We do. Maybe we need to stop commenting on the weather. Yeah, because it changes. But it's so fun. (laughs) Yeah. And it's unpredictable. And the city that we live in just has really unpredictable weather. So it's always a bit of a crapshoot. There's a lot of suspense just in our daily lives with what is going to happen outside. That is very true. That is very true. We need to stop commenting on the weather. Um, instead, we should comment on our Twitter account. What? Oh, my God. As of today, okay. we have six whole followers, you guys. We are killing it oh on Twitter. <laughs> we are tweeting everybody. We're tweeting people retweeting things listen we're gonna go big yeah we are trying to jump on this twitter thing and it is confusing (laughs) and very difficult (laughs) it's a different world it's a different world twitter it is but i mean i think that it will be a, a a fun place to learn new things about social media right even today when we were just like briefly discussing and like retweeting some people. It was fun. I think Twitter's gonna actually be really fun. Yes. So should you have a Twitter and you would like to follow us, please do, because uh we want that seventh follow. <laughs> so Yes, we do. You could be our seventh follower. And we're tweeting at people who become followers, so you'll even get a mention <laughs> at being a part of our loyal fan base. That's right. <laughs> we will retweet you. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's awesome. Melissa, uh, how was your week? What'd you do? My week Tell me about, was Tell me everything. fine. I'm trying to think about what I did that uh-huh. I could possibly comment on. Um, really eat sleep work yeah repeat sleep work yeah um not much has happened in the life of melissa uh pretty much exactly the same every week yeah i i did accept a new position 
at the place at the telemedicine place that I am working. At the place that I work. <laughs> at the current location in which I'm working. So I'm doing the exact same job, just different mm-hmm. amount of work, I guess. So yeah. Okay. I have signed on for another year, so I will be there for a little bit longer. Wow. Yeah. Great. So that's oh. that's really the most exciting thing that happened to me this week. Otherwise, nothing Well, new. congratulations. How was your week, Julie? Thank you for asking, Melissa. Uh, let me tell you how it was. I had a very good week. I've been making sourdough bread. Ooh. My friend gave me this really good starter. And so I've been making sourdough and it's great. And I've been joining the club. So like everybody I know is making sourdough right now. Um, but I have not had a flop yet. I've had a really like successful run of making sourdough. Oh, awesome. My sourdough is looking great. Awesome. I have it in the fridge and it's ready to go. That's awesome. <laughs> Good. It's not an easy thing to bake, so that's awesome. I'm glad you're having success. You with know it. what? Okay. I'm gonna tell you something. I was really intimidated by sourdough initially and I was like really worried. I thought I was gonna fail miserably. I got this recipe from a friend who's a baking guru and cooking guru. Like she and her husband just bake and cook up a storm. They're amazing. So she gave me these instructions. And at first I was like, my first one is just going to be a flop. I already know that. Like, I know it's going to be a screw up. It wasn't. Awesome. It turned out. And I totally attribute it not to my talents as a sourdough baker, but for sure to the instructions and the starter. (laughs) That's awesome. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. You could totally do it. Yeah. I mean, my dad makes sourdough regularly. Like he's been doing it for Uh, a long time. And so I much prefer to just get frozen sourdoughs from him (laughs) and then I don't have to make them. (laughs) So You know what, Melissa? Yeah, that's a great great resource to have. (laughs) That's my plan for sourdough. Good for you. You don't have to slave all day. My dad makes a lot of things from scratch. Like he makes his own tortillas, which I do do that now. I make my own tortilla shells. Just the packaged ones are like garbage after you make your own. Those are actually quite easy. But then he also makes English muffins from scratch. Oh, they're so good. And my my mom makes pita bread from scratch, which is also really good. So so I get a lot of frozen baked goods from them, which is great. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Can your parents adopt me? Uh, Yeah, I think they'd make you some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? My parents are okay. They make me stuff. They'll be all right. Can I just, can they share custody is what I want to know. Like maybe I could have two there sets. Like go. your parents could be my one set and my own parents could be my other set. Fair I enough. think we just solved the problem. Yeah, I like it. Just yeah. like one big family. <laughs> oh, also, before we get into actually talking about this episode, I went crazy on buying a bunch of craft beers. I will take a picture and I will show everybody. I went nuts. So I am going camping this week. It's my brother's birthday and we're also celebrating father's day and then my sister-in-law got a job like a permanent position so I was like oh we need to make this like a big thing and so I went to a couple breweries and I just picked up all these things and I just I went a little nuts I came home and I was like I have so much beer (laughs) and that's not a bad thing you could not have too many but I was like I think I overboard maybe I should have just reined it in a little bit <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um, it will all be consumed it will all I'm be sure consumed. it will especially um <sighs> camping what else is there to do but yes. drink beer right exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. you get me 
You get me. And also, so like now that I've talked about bread and now that I've talked about liquid bread, let's get into the episode. Okay, so we start. Wait, 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 wait. Do you want to tell me your fun facts? I do want to. Melissa's fun facts. That's our jingle. All right. So my fun fact of the week is about Noah Wiley. Wanted to talk a little bit about how he was cast as the role of John Carter. I guess his agent at the time was really strongly pitching him to be John and begged for an audition and was like riding the casting director's butt for it and finally ended up getting him an audition um, with the casting director who is John Levy. So John Levy brought him in and he said this in an interview later about Noah's audition. So he said, Noah had a couple of films that he had completed at the time, but neither of them had been released. So like he actually was like a no name at the time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And if you look back at the pilot, you see exactly how young Noah seemed and was. Uh, I guess that John Levy thought that he was like Doogie Hauser plus five. (laughs) (laughs) So he also said, I brought him in into a producer session. And funnily enough, it was the one where it was like one of the sessions where Michael Crichton attended. And Noah did this fantastic thing during his audition. He did his dialogue scene, which he just read the scene, of course. And then he did another scene um, as Dr. Carter. And it's the scene where Dr. Carter screws up taking blood from a patient. It's mostly like physical comedy in that scene. And so Noah actually went up to John Levy and like tied something around his arm and like actually pretended to draw blood. Um, and he was pretending to draw blood with a pencil. <laughs> and I guess he just made Michael Crichton laugh so much through that scene that he just had the job. Like it was just 100% oh, his. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's like how he that. got the role. And then once I started looking into this, so then Noah Wiley tells a story that like later, once a series like was a huge hit and everything, and he'd been John Carter for a while, he was, he got onto a plane and he was sitting beside Raphael Sabarge, who also read for John Carter. So Raphael has since become very famous. Uh, he is he was on Once Upon a Time. He was on Murder in the First. But at this time, they were like sitting together on the plane. And Raphael Sabarge was le- or said to Noah, he was like, I am doing my best to not hate you right now. <laughs> like, He's like, you stole that role from me. That was a great role. (laughs) So uh, it's pretty crazy. And like, I don't know. Do you know who Raphael Savarge is? Can you like picture him? No. I couldn't either. I'm going to just do it. You should quickly Google search it because I cannot imagine him as John Carter. (laughs) Like, he's a great actor. And like, I know I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine him as John Carter? Like, he just doesn't have the like look, I'd say. No, (laughs) I cannot picture that. Yeah, he's such a good actor. He is. No, I could not. Yeah. I could not picture that. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a completely different story, I think. Like, I don't know. John yes. would have been a completely different character, I think, if um, Raphael had been uh, or had played him. Yes. Yeah. So kind of crazy. Totally. Anyway. That is so funny. It'd be so awkward to be on a plane yeah. with somebody you beat out 
I don't know. For like this huge role, this TV show is massive now, right? Uh-huh. 15 seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's so hard to know because they maybe would have styled him differently, but Noah Wiley does such a good Bambi kind of look. That's like, true. Where he's so innocent and like deer in headlights kind of got like, yeah, like I think has this really great character. Yeah. It works that he looks so young. Right. And like, yes, kind of naive. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. It would have been weird. So true. I like thinking about like the road not taken, other actors that maybe were up for roles and stuff. I like to look at that and be like, oh, really? Oh, I yeah. don't know. What the heck? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. I like that fact. Anyway, yeah, that's my fun fact. Thanks for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. I love it. <laughs> this episode is titled Happy New Year. It was written by Lydia Warward and directed by Charles Hayde. It aired on January 5th, 1995. We're into the next year. (laughs) All right. Brief synopsis of this episode. After seemingly endless requests, Dr. Benton finally allows Dr. Carter to observe in the OR. After Dr. Lewis disagrees with Dr. Kaysen over the care of a patient, the patient's family sues for malpractice. Meanwhile, Dr. Lewis's sister decides to move to Texas with her flaky boyfriend. Dr. Benton and his sister discuss new arrangements for care for his ailing mother. And Jules. Yes. Do you, what was your Jules rating? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I liked this episode. I thought there was really cool character development. I really liked, um, Dr. Carter's kind of story arc and his character arc in this. You can really see him improve, but then we'll talk about it. But (laughs) I really liked the episode, but not as much as I've liked some of the other ones. So I'm going to go 185. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. agree. I really liked the Carter aspects of this. Um, It made me think a lot about nursing school and like becoming a new grad. So I've got some good stories for this episode. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. Uh, So yeah, I do really like that part, but not my favorite episode overall. I found it a little like dry, like a little dull. Otherwise, like everything else seemed kind of choppy. And sometimes I was like, where did these patients come from? I don't know if I missed something along the way, but it just didn't feel like though they didn't follow patients from like coming in to going home kind of things. It was kind of more choppy. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so I didn't really like the flow of this episode very much. So I actually went fairly low for this one. I went 150 joules. I mean, I think that's fair. It it wasn't my favorite either, but I think we'll have fun talking about it. Oh yeah, I think it's still So don't stop listening. If you're listening to this episode, don't stop here because we're going to have some fun things to say. Absolutely. Yeah, you better not turn this off. (laughs) Don't you dare. (laughs) Don't you dare. We'll come find you. We only have six followers, so we know. We don't. Actually, one more person just started following us, so we now have seven followers. Okay. You know what? It's the it's the anarchy. It's the sons of anarchy people. It is the sons of anarchy people. Yeah. Should I retweet them? Sure. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to retweet them right now. Oh my gosh. Thanks for following us. Okay, wait. This is what I have. Oh my gosh. Congrats on 40. They just got, they just reached 45,000 followers. So I said, oh my gosh, congrats on 45,000 followers. And also thanks for becoming one of our seven (laughs) loyal followers. (laughs) Wait, wait. How should I say this? Melissa, help me. I think you should say. Loyal fan base? Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. I would say instead of, and also I would say more importantly, congratulations on being our seventh oh, yeah. follower. Okay. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> then they'll look at our followers and be like, oh my God, these people only have seven followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and then like this is big hashtag we're on a roll or something hashtag er podcast exploding or something like that <laughs> something like ridiculous <laughs> er debriefed explodes <laughs> or er debriefed almost hits 10 followers <laughs> Deprecating thing is gonna be awesome. ER debriefed explodes almost at 10 followers. 10. Okay, you're gonna do them as two separate followers. ER debrief. Yeah. Hashtag ER debrief explodes. Hashtag almost at 10 followers. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> that is so perfect. Oh man, I love it so much. This is so funny. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard I'm having an asthma attack. <laughs> okay, this is so funny. <laughs> I think so too. Melissa had to use All her right. puffer. It was pretty funny. So yes, funny. I did. <laughs> Sometimes I laugh so hard I have asthma attacks, okay? <laughs> it happens. <laughs> I've had to do it once in a movie theater and it was very embarrassing. (laughs) Not embarrassing at all. It just speaks to how excited you are about this. Okay. Our opening scene is Dr. Carter sprinting into the hospital to get help because someone has been injured. He gets Dr. Green and Carol and they run out and there's like this guy pinned between two cars and I think he's been shot and they like take him out and they put him on the stretcher and they bring him in and I'm just like, where is fire? Like, okay, I, I guess laws are different now, but I think if this were to happen to us, we would have to call paramedics. I don't even think we could go out to the street to get them. No, we definitely could not. Like even just outside the front doors, you can't legally go outside yeah. the doors and extract somebody. Or at the very least, like there's always paramedics in an emergency department. So like if yeah. I was Dr. Carter and I had seen somebody who had gunshot wounds or whatever as I'm coming into the hospital... I'm going to run into the hospital and find a medic, not a doctor. Yeah. You know, like a a medic is going to be way more useful because they've got to like extract the person safely. And they're the ones that are trained to do that. It's like, I would run in, find a few paramedics and be like, we need a stretcher and we need you guys to go out here because there is somebody with gunshot wounds outside. Yeah. And then I honestly don't even know that I would go with them. Like, because you technically cannot treat anybody outside of the department. So yeah, the, okay. it's the paramedic's yeah. job to do all of that. Or fire's job, yeah. But they they extract him safely, apparently. Sure. <laughs> so they bring him into the trauma bay. They're like wheeling him in. It's very sporty. And Dr. Carter intubates the patient. Yeah. So yeah, so he successfully does it. Good job, Carter. They rush him off to the OR and Dr. Benton can read minds because he just shows up and he's like, the OR is ready. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that you even <laughs> knew this was this was happening. And Dr. Carter's like really proud of himself, but Dr. Benton just like sort of dismisses it. And but I get it, like, you know, it's a high pressure situation. He's not gonna stand there like giving this guy brownies, but 
He's like, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, you don't need to pat on the bat for doing good things all the time. Then we see an interaction with them shortly after where Carter is just like, hey, I'm here to learn. I need to do things. I'm not here to do all your grunt work. And I also totally understand that from a student perspective. When you're a student nurse, sometimes you get called to do all the grunt work stuff as well. But probably not on the same level as maybe a med student or a resident might have to do in situations like this. So he talks to Dr. Green eventually in the episode about how he thinks that Dr. Benton maybe doesn't want him around. And he's kind of like, I don't think he really cares that much about my learning. And Dr. Green is kind of like, well, get used to tough love because he probably had way worse superiors than you have. And Dr. Benton is actually probably one of the best ones. And he's definitely not the worst that you could be partnered with. So he basically is like, you just have to put up with it. Right. Essentially. Right, yeah. And then this major trauma comes in, and I think Dr. Carter is, like, filled with inspiration. And he just takes control. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And he does the intubation. They're all super impressed with him, and they're like, what? What? Go, Dr. Carter. It's your birthday. <laughs> did you have anything to say about that? How he was just like, okay. And he just did it. And yeah. he like auscultated after. And it was like, oh my gosh, you're a full-fledged bridge doc now. Yeah. And it made me think too that like this kind of started off where Carter is like, uh, Dr. Benton doesn't support me. He doesn't really teach me much, blah, blah, blah. But like, look at how much he's actually taught. Yeah. Cause good point. Like Dr. Carter can manage a situation like that. Right. And so... I think that that's sometimes like what a lot of us maybe need to look at is like, it's easy to blame the other person for what's going on or, oh, I'm not getting taught well enough or I'm not being managed properly or whatever this situation may be, right? Or yeah. this coworker, coworker doesn't support me or whatever. But like really, there's probably a lot better things going on that you just don't realize. But maybe Dr. Carter was never showing Dr. Benton that he's learning, that like he can take control of situations and that's what Dr. Benton wanted to see, right? Like he's like, I want to see yeah. you manage a situation. Because like you could see the how impressed Dr. Benton was, yeah. right? During that whole situation. Yes. Like Dr. Carter just like took over and then he's like, oh, well, do you want to do this procedure as well, Dr. Carter? And he's like, no, I'll let you do that one. Like, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, and Dr. So Benton good. was like, oh, shit. Like, you know what you're doing now. Good job. And you can manage yes. and take control of a stressful situation. Okay, you can come into the OR now. Yeah, it was so good. As a viewer, you have, like, a proud mama moment where you're totally. like, oh. Yeah, looked at him. So good. Yeah, little Bambi. Okay, so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was so you good. You know all of those nurses that were in that code room or recess room or whatever. We're all like, yeah, go Carter. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, uh, it's so awesome. Yeah. I love it. Totally. So then we pan to uh, Dr. Green and he's speaking to Dr. Hicks and he says... <laughs> He's like going over all of the patients that are kind of in the department that he's overseeing. And he talks about how he has a patient with a paper cut that was attacked by a newspaper in the suture room. That it just made me chuckle because we absolutely get these patients. At the time, it's very frustrating when you have someone who has something as minor as a paper cut that comes into an emergency room. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, like, what's the most ridiculous thing you've ever had come in where you're like, why are you here? I can't handle this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, get out of here. Um, the thing that I was reminded of when I listened to that was mm -hmm. a gentleman with a stubbed toe that came in. 
Who no longer had pain. Oh, boy. Uh, this is the thing, is that, like, he stubbed his toe. Yeah. It really hurt, according to him, when he stubbed it. Right. Which it does really hurt when you stub a toe. Yeah. But it hurt. Yeah. So then in during further investigation, I, I was expecting, like, his toe is still hurting, it's swollen, it's red, or whatever. Like, there's other symptoms still occurring. Nope. No other yeah. symptoms. No redness, no swelling, no pain currently felt completely normal otherwise and I was like so what brought you into the emergency department sir and he's like well it really hurt when I stubbed my toe and I was like have you never stubbed a toe before like this is the first time it's ever happened yeah Um, have you never experienced any pain right like if the pain dissipates you're okay like it just yeah yeah uh, (laughs) if it goes away it's a good sign yeah so but that gentleman definitely he wanted a full assessment because he needed an x-ray and everything because he did he actually get an x-ray he did not he waited for six hours though to get seen by a doctor and be told as it he should was fine. <laughs> like, yeah, as he should. Yeah. yeah. What about you? I think. Well, the most ridiculous thing I've had. So, I have I heard about this situation, but I didn't actually triage him. I didn't actually see him. This kid, I think he was like a high school student or something, and he came in because he had oatmeal stuck in his teeth from eating a granola bar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And he was asked if he wanted, like, a clinic appointment. Like, oh, would you prefer to see a family doctor instead to talk about this issue instead of coming into a very busy emergency room? Yeah. Nope. I would like to see an emergency doctor. And so he did. Oh, my God. Like, for oatmeal stuck in his teeth, this kid didn't even have floss. It was so strange. <laughs> Just like no coping skills whatsoever. Yeah. And then I think the the worst thing I've ever experienced and like witnessed or like have triaged is someone that came in with like a pea-sized blister on their finger and they they needed to come to emergency, but they also had a meeting in an hour. So oh. I needed to be very quick uh, yes. to get him to see a doctor. Like I need to see a doctor now because I have a meeting in an hour. So this blister must take priority over everything else. So did you accommodate that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I was like, well, you probably shouldn't have come here if you needed to go to a meeting. No kidding. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. stuff that comes in sometimes is just, I just think like our, society is just not well there's a lot of people that just don't have any coping or like common sense when it comes to like health related issues zero coping yeah one of the girls that I work with at telemedicine was saying that her she tried to explain her job to her grandma and her grandma Mm -hmm. like just did not understand why this was a thing like why we need advice lines over the phone oh it was like well like it just helps people find like get into the right resources and know when they need to see a doctor and if they need to see a doctor and we give advice if you can stay home and like treat certain things at home Mm -hmm. and her grandma was just like I like what (laughs) like is this is just like coming from a generation where like you just you knew all this stuff right like you were taught all this stuff you knew basic healthcare, like you knew how to take care of yourself to a certain extent, yes. right? And you knew when you needed to go see a doctor, like when things were really bad. 
So yes, yeah, it's interesting to hear from kind of that generation's perspective versus ours where like, I think what we provide is a great resource, Yeah, but like maybe wasn't always necessary. Like if we did more health training with people or more health promotion stuff, maybe this wouldn't be necessary. Right. So yeah, it's interesting. It's wild. Yeah, it is interesting. The things that people come in for and it's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's rocket science, like what you use an emergency room for and what you don't use it for, but it seems to be a difficult concept for people to understand. But I think also part of it is that there's this idea that you're going to be seen right away if you come to emergency. And they actually talked about it in the episode where they were like, this isn't a restaurant, like this isn't customer service. Right. This is healthcare. Right. Yeah, I really liked that Dr. Hicks said that. Yes, And there's always this comment, well, I was here first before this person and I'm seeing so many people come in that came in after me. But emergency is not first come, first serve. You're triaged based on your acuity and how sick you are. But people don't seem to get it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we are introduced to a patient, this woman who has a mitral valve prolapse and Susan is her doctor. She's trying to dispo this patient to get her out because she has children and she needs to go back to see them. But she can't get an answer from Dr. Kazin, who is the cardiologist who needs to sign off on this. And it explains later, but initially I was like, why does she need Dr. Kazin to sign off on this? Like she's a doctor, she can discharge the patient. But I I forget that she's actually a resident. Right. I for, forget that part, but then you'd think that she would have to sign off with another emergency doctor, but she has to sign off. She has to get Dr. Kazin to sign off on it. Right. And I thought, I thought about that too, because I was trying to think about like the logistics of it. Technically, she is in a merge, right? Like she would be an yeah. merge resident right now or so that I think. So she probably consulted cardiology. But the yeah. thing is that like Dr. Kaysen has to then see the patient. Like it's his responsibility yeah. as a consulting service to do his assessment. He shouldn't just be doing an assessment based off of a report from someone else. Totally. Yeah. So I know that that comes into play totally. later in the later story, but like- yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird that this is the way that it's set up, but maybe it is a little different in the States. Like maybe it's a little bit more like free flowing, but as a consulting service, you do need them to sign off on it. And then you get to decide whether they're going to be discharged or not once cardiology is put in their two cents. Yeah. It's weird that he doesn't see any of his patients. (laughs) Like, It's really weird. And he like keeps dismissing her. Yeah. And she's like trying to talk to him about it. And he's like, meh, he doesn't care at all. And he gets annoyed with her that she's bringing up patients to him. Right. And she's even consulting him. And yet he gets mad at her then for making a mistake. Yeah. For not doing it. Like he gets mad at her in this first situation because first she's trying to present the patient. And then he's like, I don't have time for this, blah, blah, blah. And then later he's like, why didn't you consult me earlier? We could have discharged this person a long time ago. I'm like, ah, sir, I can't win. I know. <laughs> he just like, yeah, she cannot yeah. win. He's a jerk. And he basically is like, when she finally is able to talk to him about this woman with the mitral valve, valve prolapse, he's like, why has she been here for hours? She should go home. Like, he's such... Like, I just really get the impression from this guy that he's a misogynistic prick. The way he was behaving around that crazy girl, what was her name? Elizabeth. Like, you know that girl that was coming in wanting to be touched by all the doctors and he was like flirting with her at the desk and being super creepy? Mm, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in one of the earlier episodes. Yeah. 
And he's like probably in his 60s and she's like in her early 20s. It was super weird and really creepy. She's the girl that slept with Carter, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what her name was, but yeah. But then I was like, well, maybe I'm just judging him because I'm looking at this through my own lens, but I just definitely see a sexist lens. I do too. So then later she has another patient with chest pain but his labs come back normal. His ECG isn't concerning. But she does talk about how he had back pain two months earlier. To, and he was taking like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know what she said, it, what medication it like she said. Anti-inflammatory of some kind. Yeah, that he should stop taking it if he's not having any more pain in his back. And she runs it by Dr. Kazin. She tells him the whole story. And then I think at one point she was about to tell him about the back pain and he interrupted her because he didn't want to hear it. Mm. I'm pretty sure she was like, and there's one thing and she was going to mention it. And then he was just like, eh, I don't want to hear it. Anyways, he says you can discharge the patient. So she discharges this guy, this young gentleman home. She's kind of frustrated and having this interaction with Dr. Kaysen that she wasn't super happy with. And um, she's interacting then with this patient who... Uh, had the chest pain and he's like well what the heck was I doing here all day like I've been here for nothing and nothing was wrong with me and she was like well I it took a long time because of this and she gives him her reasons and he just doesn't accept them and he leaves and Dr. Hicks sees this interaction go down and notices that Susan seems to always be looking for someone to validate her concerns when she should just make the call herself. Dr. Hicks says, I relate to the situation that you're in because I was always looking for reassurance because I was a black woman and I didn't think I was good enough to make my own decisions. She encourages Susan to trust herself and that patients can wait however long it takes. And it's not customer service. This is healthcare. Right. So they can wait. I liked that. Which was a really nice interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I liked liked Dr. Hicks's like strength in that scene, right? That she was like, mm-hmm. I get judged all the time for being a woman, for being a black woman. Mm-hmm. I always was looking for validation from patients, from other doctors and everybody. And she's like, it, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. Like who cares what they think? Mm-hmm. You're doing the job mm-hmm. that you're doing. You're doing it as fast as you can be. And as mm-hmm. thoroughly as you can be, don't, don't try to look for validation from anybody, right? Like you just yes. know that you're doing a good job, which is a tough yes. mentality to get on board with, right? Because you do like ultimately want to um, help people and you want people to like you. That's just being human, right? Yeah. Everybody wants people to like them and not be mad at them and not yell at them. So yeah. yeah, it is hard because you get a lot of negativity in the emergency department, right? I think we've talked mm-hmm. about this many times, but like from patients, from sometimes other staff or other departments. And you've got to just be solid in the fact that you know what you are doing and you are doing the best that you can. You have to have that confidence or that bravado to like kind of get through those days or those situations. So yeah, I love Angela Hicks there. She's awesome. She's just like, yeah, she's let this get you down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was so good. And you can, yeah, I, I feel like she's probably gone through a lot. And the fact that she's still so warm and loving is a real testament to her character, I think. Cause it's, Absolutely. I think that there's a lot of female doctors that went through med school, went through residency, being one of very few women. And some of them have a little bit of a like personality because they had to be so tough. 
Right. Because they were probably told or given the impression that they weren't good enough. I think that they have to have a hard exterior in order to get through a man's world or what was a man's world. Right. Agreed. At the time. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Again, later, <laughs> uh, the patient that had the chest pain that Dr. Kazin was like, yeah, send this guy home. He's discharged and he comes back and he's in trouble and he later dies. Dr. Kazin comes back around and he basically is like, you done screwed up, Susan. And he is not pleased. He like basically tells her there's going to be an investigation and he berates her for this mistake that she made, et cetera, et cetera. And I just feel like as a attending, he should have taken some responsibility for this situation because he is not an easy person to approach. And when you're not an easy person to approach, then things are going to be missed because people are going to be too afraid or they're just not going to approach you about stuff right? right. because they don't think that you're going to make the time. Right. So I think if he had actually sat down with her and taken maybe just five minutes to talk with Susan and go through the case with her, he might have caught this and that could have been a good learning opportunity for Susan. Right. Agreed. And ultimately, it is his responsibility. Yeah. So he should be taking responsibility, even if it's a huge mistake. I am reminded of like that time where Dr. Benton dismissed what Susan was saying with that patient, yeah. like that surgical patient, yes. right? And Dr. Benton Good. immediately yeah. was like, no, I screwed up here, right? Yeah. That's what you should be doing. Even if yes. you don't think it's your fault at the end of the day, you're still the attending. You're still the senior person who was responsible. And so it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter if she didn't tell you about the back pain or not. It's your responsibility mm -hmm. to know that stuff, to see your patients, to do the mm -hmm. best that you can be doing, right? So yeah, it is his fault. Like even if yeah. he thinks Good he point. wasn't given all of the information, he should have known that. He should have talked to the patient himself. If he's just such a jerk. Totally agree. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So Susan is having a bad day. She's not having a good time. No. on this shift and in the midst of this chloe comes to visit susan and tells her that she's moving to texas with oh, her boyfriend oh man yeah yeah and she's kind of like what this is not a good decision to be making you are having a baby what are you gonna do you don't know anybody there i just think that Chloe is looking for some independence and she wants to be self-sufficient. And I think this is a recipe for disaster. She doesn't have a very good track record, but yeah. hopefully, hopefully she proves Susan wrong and she's able to, to do it. But they do have a nice moment where they're sitting in this cafe and Susan is like not pleased with this information she's being told. And she gives Chloe her winter coat and just says, be safe. I think she didn't say it, but I think she was kind of like, she will never ask for my help if I react this way. I need to right. make some amends here. Right. Yeah. Like let her do her thing and be there for when it falls apart kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And when she was looking through the window, you can tell she just looks really unsettled about the whole situation. Yeah. I don't blame her. Yeah. I don't blame her either. We also see Peter, he, Dr. Benton, he has coffee with his sister Jackie and she's telling him that she got a new job and she is sort of pushing for their mother to move into a home because she's not going to have time to look after her. Peter is really not pleased about this idea and he wants their mother to live with one of them. And I wonder if that has anything to do with just his experience and how people are treated in 
in care homes. I wonder if it's sort of similar to here where right. maybe there's a not a very good reputation. Yeah. With well, old, and it doesn't, homes. yeah, it doesn't sound like they are very well off. Like I wonder what kind of place they yeah. can afford is maybe not as yeah. great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I understand where Peter's coming from, but like I'm more on his sister's side. They have so been am I. Yeah. taking care of the mother for years, probably. Yes. Right. She just, she needs full-time care. And like, you just, there is no other option, right? It sucks. Yeah. But it sounds like they looked at a nice place. They think it's fairly nice. And so, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think Dr. Benton has much of a leg to stand on. Like you're not helping buddy. You don't, you never show yeah. up. Yeah can never help out he doesn't contribute to anything yeah you don't get to do this maybe one so. day when he's making the big bucks as a surgeon but like right now he's not gonna be able to afford to do anything to help them so right and right. he he can't even afford his time right like he doesn't even have time to give yeah to this. absolutely so. absolutely yeah so i think he's being a little bit silly about the whole thing i understand that you're hesitant to do this but like dude You've not been helping. Yeah. I don't think you get to say anything about the choice or the decisions that your sister's making. Like 100%. You don't get to have uh, input in this. Totally. Well, maybe you get to give, be given the impression that you have some input, but he's not. Yeah. Right. You can help me pick the place we're going to put her in, but we're putting her in a place. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. So then we get into this like really hilarious part um, where Dr. Carter gets to scrub in on the surgery that Dr. Benton has sort of awarded him with because he did such a good job in the trauma. It's super funny because he immediately contaminates himself and he doesn't know how to put on the gloves. And (laughs) he's like, again, just like a deer in headlights. He doesn't know what he is doing. Well, and the physical comedy that he does with this is so well done. Yeah. He's holding his hands up like they're sterile before he's even scrubbed in. Yeah. And he's like (laughs) pushing the doors and like flopping around. And then Dr. Benton's like, you don't have to do that until after you wash your hands until you're after (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is like begs the question he's been through medical school does this guy not know what sterile is like does he not understand what is happening excited and like i don't know yeah maybe he's just forgotten everything it's so bad yeah But it was really funny. The whole process, like even when he ends up putting this, when the scrub nurse is helping him put on the gown and the gloves and like, she's like right hand. And he's like, like gets his left hand in there. She's like right hand. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. I thought you meant your right hand. She's like, I'm putting gloves on you. Like (laughs) it was just so funny. Like, then she's like, turn around. And he like does like a little twirl all the way around. He's just like, oh my God, you're just so Yeah. and then eventually he's me too and eventually he's just like screwed up so much that she has to draw like a circle on the ground to be like (laughs) stand there yeah i like how he goes through the whole process he scrubs in he gets his gown on very messily he gets his gloves on and then he goes and he touches dr benton's back dr benton i know it's like (laughs) you need to just read up on sterile practices like yeah and then clearly you don't understand them yeah and then the nurse has to like pull him to be like you're no longer sterile like we gotta do this all over again oh man it was so funny that whole like process made me think a lot about nursing school so i have a really embarrassing story from nursing school yes 
Oh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> so the first time I ever hung blood. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, you know, like in nursing school, when you have to give medications or whatever, and you have to wait for your instructor to then like, actually give the medication yes so like a lot of the time when you're a student you're waiting like you're waiting for your instructor because they've got six whatever people that they have to follow around Um, and so you have to like schedule when you're going to give your meds with the instructor so then they can come and help you so anyway i had to give this lady Mm -hmm. blood and i think it was a lady i don't know i can't really remember the patient but i had to give blood and so i was waiting in the room and i was talking to the person and you know i'm waiting for my instructor and blood is quite a process like you have to double check it and there's like specific monitoring it is very stressful for a new nursing student doing this for the first time so anyway so i'm waiting in the room and it's taking a long time for the instructor to come like i'm kind of awkwardly in the room with this patient talking to them yes and then so i thought in my head okay well like they're still not here it's been like a good 20 minutes 30 minutes and i was like i'm gonna just like spike the blood and not connect it to the person like i'll just have the whole line primed with blood so that i'm ready to go right as soon as the instructor comes in then i can like just hook everything up and we can do the checks and everything Like, I don't think that's completely unreasonable. Like maybe I shouldn't have done it that way, but I was just trying to be efficient. Yeah. So I'm like spiking the blood. I'm like working on twisting it in and just chatting with the patient, like la-di-da. And then my instructor comes in to the room and she's very upset with the fact that I was spiking the blood because I think maybe she initially thought that I was like giving it to the patient. I'm not sure what was going through her head, (laughs) but she screamed at me. So she like comes into the room, sees that I'm spiking the blood and is like, what the hell are you doing? And she starts like yelling at me. And oh my God, I am not the like more confident person than I am now. I was a very timid, very shy person. And I like, it freaked me out. It first off scared me because I didn't realize that she was entering the room and then she's screaming at me. So like I panicked and I pulled the spike out of the blood <laughs> bag. <laughs> so then it's just like an open pour of blood no! all over me. Like it was like well above my head. So like it was blood shower. <laughs> like I just was covered. I looked Carrie like Carrie. 2.0. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Oh man, it was just brutal. It was mortifying. And then like the patient's just laughing. And like, it was just so crazy. And so, and so the instructor like oh immediately stopped yelling and was like, oh my God, like what now, what have you done? Like, oh my God, I oh wasted blood and it's all over my face. Uh, uh, yeah it was pretty embarrassing and I had to go home that day I was sent home I was had to shower and like whatnot um yeah it was not great that is so funny yeah and I've had another incident with blood since and it was in our department and oh my gosh it's because I like was not thinking you know how like blood tubing you have to like spike the saline on one side and you have to spike the blood on the other side if you don't spike both of them while clamp like if you put if you spike the saline it'll like come into the chamber and then up the other side and like spray out yeah yeah. so i had not clamped the cord or the tubing properly and i spiked the blood first i don't know what i was thinking And so blood went into the tube, into the chamber, and then up. (laughs) (laughs) And it just sprayed blood all over me and all over the room. There was blood, like, on the ceiling. Like, oh, God. 
So I just That's am not hilarious. great with blood. I don't love <laughs> giving it because I know I'm just a mess when it comes to it. So yeah, I definitely am not proficient with that very well. I've had oh, my share of carry moments. So. Oh my god! Yeah, that's, that's my like biggest nursing school story. But anyway, oh, thank <laughs> you for sharing that. That is too good. So then we go to Dr. Green and Susan, and they're having a little snack in the kitchen. Which is, I'm like, I don't know what kind of hospital this is, but we can't. We don't have just access to the kitchen. That's no. something we don't have. Like he's like yeah. cooking in the kitchen. Yeah, he's cooking. Yeah, it's like they're no. in a manor or something. We're just going to go down to the basement and yeah. make us some eggs. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> but they're such good friends. And it actually, I'm just like, you guys, they are so going to be together. And <laughs> they're so honest with each other. And even though they get into kind of a little argument and he's kind of like, maybe you just don't know what's best for Chloe. And he's kind of defending her and trying to make her think about it from a different perspective, the whole situation with her sister. But that's why I ship them, because that's what a healthy relationship is. Yeah, he, like, kind of challenges the way she thinks a lot, right? Like, every yes. conversation they have, he's kind of on the other side a little bit. I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. He's supportive, but also challenges her. Yeah. Yeah. It's I good. Do. I, I like it's that good. relationship. It's pretty good. Me too. Me too. That's really all I have, because the episode then ends with, the lawsuit that Dr. Susan then has to answer to because the family thinks that there was malpractice um, because she didn't understand that the issue with that man who was discharged with chest pain, she didn't understand that that was a serious issue. So yeah, we're going to definitely see this follow through like this whole lawsuit. I'm sure there's going to be more about it. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Very ominous ending. Yeah. It's kind of scary for Susan because like Dr. Kaysen, I'm sure he is not, or he's more than willing to lie to get to his, or to twist the truth, to make it look like he's in the good and like throw Susan under the bus. So yeah, that's what's kind of scary sometimes in healthcare. Like you need to be on, everybody needs to be on the same team and work together because when you're working against each other, just like problems like this occur, right? And, mm -hmm. and then- like the truth isn't really revealed as well because not yeah. everybody's being completely honest or taking a responsibility for themselves. So yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's scary, scary for Susan. I don't know. Like she's quite in a personal pickle and in her work life because now Chloe and to be stressed about that and then having to worry about this lawsuit. I feel badly for her. Yeah, I feel badly too. And she's such a good doctor. I think she's really good she with her is. patients. There are a couple of things that I just wanted to mention that's super small. Okay. There's some pretty inconsiderate terms that they use in this department for patients. Oh. So like. Bring them up. I want to know. One of them was they called a obese gentleman who had a heart attack while shoveling. Oh, And he died. Yes. yes. And they call him the dead shovel. Yeah, I heard that too. I was like, oh, I just didn't want to even bring it up. But I'm glad you did because yeah. I think it's really important that we talk about this because. Yeah. 
I was kind of thrown. Of course, we're not always like super politically correct. And there's definitely room for a lot of improvement. But we yeah. would never call someone a dead shovel. No, like, and that's, I yeah, <sighs> totally. That is not reflective of, or maybe the emergency room as it is now. Because maybe those terms were used at one point, but it's highly encouraged to not use those terms to describe people yeah like it wouldn't even cross my mind to say something like no. this like this is pretty inconsiderate yeah um, and then the other one was bumsicle because it was like a homeless person who yeah. had frozen to the ground yes and they called him a bumsicle and i was like oh i know this not, is yeah. not good and he had pretty extensive frostbite and likely i mean that could be a huge risk for amputation like this guy might lose his leg you know it's very cringeworthy. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know. It was pretty unsettling yeah. to hear those things. And, yeah, I was like, it was very, I was cringing a lot. Yeah. yeah. that part. Yeah. Ooh, not very great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does. Yeah. That part doesn't age very well, does it, from the 90s? No, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty old. And a crass look at what the emergency department staff is like. Like Yes. And then on a lighter note, one of the nurses called a yonker suction. I, I think it was yank hour. <laughs> or I think she said like can you connect the suction to a yank hour and I was like a what and then I was like oh my god she needs a yonker <laughs> that was pretty funny I mean I guess that's maybe how you would phonetically sound out yonker is yank hour but yeah, <laughs> yeah it was pretty yeah. funny um, <laughs> I laughed pretty yeah. good when I heard that somebody failed uh, in the pronunciation yeah. department on that one yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then there's one scene where Connie is like opening up a sterile tray for yeah. Dr. Carter, I think. And no sterile technique. She's just like Carter. She just cannot do it. She opened up the tray yeah. with like just regular gloves on. Yeah. And then she just starts grabbing things out of the sterile <laughs> tray. And I was like, ah, oh, not really quite right. Sterile. But all right. <laughs> Well, there was also a part in the OR where Shirley, the nurse, is like helping Dr. Carter get into his sterile field. I don't think that she's sterile putting him into the stuff, is she? When she's putting him into the gown? Yeah, when she's helping him dress. Yeah. I think she's the runner nurse, so I don't actually think she's sterile. She's just clean. So she helps oh, them maintain okay. their sterile uh, sterileness. But at one point, after she puts on his gloves... She grabbed both of his hands, like his hands were kind of clasped yeah. together and she grabbed both of his and I was like, you just contaminated him. But then right. he got contaminated when she... Yeah. I definitely thought she was sterile in that situation because she was putting the gown on from the front, right? If you were going to help someone put a gown on and you were just clean or you yeah. were just like not sterile, then you would be helping from the back, right? They would be like putting the gown on themselves, and then you would be yeah. tying the backs. Maybe she is sterile. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe she's not, but... Uh, my initial impression was that she was sterile, but I could be completely wrong. But yeah, if she's not sterile, maybe she, she should is. not have grabbed his hands like that. <laughs> it was bad. Maybe I didn't identify a break. Yeah. Well, maybe you did. I mean, there's lots of sterile breaks in this. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, uh, we didn't mention how Susan helped Carter because she she told him right before he went into the OR. Oh, yeah. Totally. Triangle. The triad. Yeah. And yes. <laughs> triad, you're right. And uh, yeah, and then he's like, what? Why do I need to know those three things? And she's just like, just like, that's what. Just remember those three things. Just know them. And then he goes in and yeah. gets asked the question. And he's like, uh, maybe the answer was what 
uh, Susan told me and he just yeah, yeah that was yeah. perfect and then he got to be a little bit more involved which was great <laughs> so I really like this Carter and Susan thing me too I like how when Dr. Morgenstern asked him that question and he like looked at the nurse and then like looked back to Dr. Morgenstern and like you can you can't see any of his face because it's covered in a mask but you could just see his eyes and he's like oh shit <laughs> oh shit <laughs> Totally. Right, Susan, triad, totally. and then he says it. How many times have you been like at the nurse's desk when uh, attending for his teaching uh, resident and they're like asking questions and stuff? I love those moments. And like, yeah. I'm answering them yeah. in my head. And then like, yeah, <laughs> I love it when the resident or med student or whatever doesn't know. And they're like, kind of like looking around for maybe somebody who does know, you know, like, I'm just always like, yes, yeah, and I'll just sit there and chart. Yeah. <laughs> You're on your own. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's gotten all of a sudden very dark in uh, your house. It has. I don't have any lights they on. I can see. Because there's lots of oh. like external light. Uh, but now <laughs> I don't. That's so funny. Now I'm realizing yeah. that it's getting You're just real dark. In in the dark. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I was like, whatever, my face is lit by the computer screen, so I'll just leave it. Oh, yeah, I can see you very clearly. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's it for this episode, isn't I guess it? so. Yes. Julie's predictions this week are going to be on, I feel like I'm going to bring them to Instagram and we're going to do some polls. So go to our Instagram account and you can vote on some questions like that I'm going to be asking you guys. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. So stay tuned. Yeah, an interactive Julie's predictions this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Melissa, have a good shift oh, tonight. Thank you. Uh, you have a lovely sleep and, and have a good shift tomorrow. Thank you. And we will see all of y'all next Monday. Yeah, see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Yay. Thanks so much for listening to the episode, guys. This episode is created, edited, and produced by your hosts, Melissa and Julie. Music by Chris Yemes, photography by Ainsley Cardoso-Wagner, and photo editing by none other than your hosts, Melissa and Julie. You can find us on Instagram at erdebriefedpodcast or now on Twitter at erdebriefed. We post updates with new content on there as much as we can. You can also email us at erdebriefed at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, and more. We try to respond as quickly as possible, and we always appreciate hearing your feedback. Thanks again.